Well, good evening, everyone. It's uh, great to be with you again. Uh, last year, at about this time, a number of folks from Oklahoma Christian University came uh, up to Wichita and conducted the worship service. Our brand new president at the time, or about to be brand new president, Dr. John DeSteiger, was the speaker last year. He sends his regards this year. He wasn't able to come this year, and so you have the leftover tonight. Uh, but hopefully, we'll be able to share some things with you that uh, we believe are, are very important from God's Word. I'm going to tell you right up front, uh, I'm not going to preach an advertisement of Oklahoma Christian, all right? We're going to preach from the Word of God this evening because that's what we need to be doing is studying the Word of God. I will tell you, though, very quickly, things at Oklahoma Christian are going great. As a matter of fact, about 600 freshmen uh, invaded Oklahoma Christian yesterday. They're going to be uh, with us for a week without any of the upperclassmen uh, present on campus for something that's called Earn Your Wings. We're thrilled that they're there. As a matter of fact, uh, we are thrilled over the fact that it looks as if there are going to be about 2,500 students when you put the graduate students uh, together with the undergraduate students uh, on the Oklahoma Christian campus, which is by far, uh, by far a record number of folks uh, who are going to be attending Oklahoma Christian. Just one other thing that I would like to encourage all of you to be a part of, maybe two other things, and that is our lectureship uh, is the first Sunday through the first Tuesday of October. We'd love to have you all down for lectureship. And then we also want to remind you that in the month of November, the first Saturday in November, really the first Friday, the first Saturday in November is our annual homecoming. And this year we're going to be emphasizing the 1980s. But of course, everyone is welcome to Oklahoma Christians homecoming. And so we hope that you're going to be a part of uh, those two big events, which are going to be coming up just in the very near future. I also have with me tonight, uh, at least I know two individuals from Oklahoma Christian, Bob Lashley, who's the executive director of alumni relations, and Chris Adair, who also works uh, with Bob in alumni relations, and so we're thrilled to have them. We also have one of our trustees with us tonight, D.W. Ziegler's here, a member over at the East Point Church, also an alum along with his wife. Uh, Great, great people, great leaders for Oklahoma Christian. And so uh, we're very, very thrilled to be with all of you tonight. If you brought your Bibles, I want you to take your Bibles and I want you to turn over to 2 Corinthians, the 11th chapter. 2 Corinthians, the 11th chapter. We're going to be spending all of our time in that particular book. And I also see Dana Hawley, who's with us tonight as well from Alumni Relations, who keeps all of us working on a, on an even a path and keel, and so we're glad that Dane is with us as well. Turn over to 2 Corinthians chapter 11. Somebody saw a poster once that asked this thought-provoking question, and I want you to think about this question tonight. If you were arrested for being a Christian, would there be enough evidence to convict you? It's a pretty good question. If you were arrested for being a Christian, would there be enough evidence to convict you. If somebody was investigating your life to determine whether or not you were a follower of Jesus Christ, what evidence could they produce to prove it? Now, I would imagine for most of us who are here tonight, they would probably be able to find a baptismal certificate and a Bible in your home. 
But I want to go a little bit deeper than that. If they were to examine your lifestyle, if a private investigator was put on your trail every single day of your life, just exactly what evidence would emerge that would show beyond a shadow of a doubt that you are a follower of Jesus Christ? And if you really stop and think about it, you know, there ought to be some unmistakable evidence that would prove your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ beyond a shadow of a doubt. Now, if you're familiar with the book of 2 Corinthians, and if you're also familiar with 2 Corinthians, the 11th chapter, you know that the Apostle Paul was forced to present his case as a child of God. His credibility was being undermined by false teachers who were claiming to be superior to Paul. They ridiculed Paul as being unqualified, really, to be a leader. And these false teachers were leading some of the Corinthians astray from the true gospel of Jesus Christ. And so, if you remember this letter, you know that the Apostle Paul attempts to reestablish his credibility as a child of God. But you'll probably also remember that the Apostle Paul felt very, very uncomfortable talking about himself because it didn't sound like it was coming from the Lord Jesus Christ, rather it sounded as if it was a bragging fest by the Apostle Paul, that he was boasting only about himself. But you'll also remember that he reluctantly goes ahead and brags about himself, so to speak. He boasts about himself, not to exalt himself, but to save the weak Corinthian believers from being led into false teaching. Proverbs chapter 26 may, be, may have been on his mind. That passage in verse 5 says, Answer a fool according to his folly, or he will be wise in his own eyes. Bottom line is this. Sometimes, unfortunately, you have to debate on a shallow level because that's where people live. Sometimes you have to teach and sometimes you have to debate on a shallow level because that's where people are. And if you have your Bibles open to 2 Corinthians, the 11th chapter, and you look at what Paul says in verse 16, he says, I repeat very important words now. Let no one take me for a fool, but if you do, then receive me just as you would a fool so that I may do a little boasting. Now, the Bible says that a fool is somebody who says in his heart, what? There is no God. And these false teachers were making themselves God, and so the Apostle Paul has to come along and debate them on a very shallow level. But in this passage of Scripture that we're going to be looking at tonight for just a short while, I want you to see some attributes of what a convicted, committed child of God really looks like. And tonight we're just going to be talking about two of them. Now, the bottom line is this. This section is a good one for examining, brothers and sisters, the depth of your commitment. And so if you're a young follower in Jesus Christ, if you've only been a Christian for a couple of years, then let me tell you something. These are the goals to which you should aspire. And if you've been a believer for 30, 40, 50, 60 years, then here, ladies and gentlemen, is the proof of your faith. And so if you have your Bibles open to 2 Corinthians, the 11th chapter, we're going to begin reading in just a moment in verse 20 of 2 Corinthians, the 11th chapter. Here's the very first telltale sign that you're a follower of Jesus Christ. And that is, if you're taking notes tonight, integrity in relationships with people. 
integrity in relationships with people. Beginning in verse 20, the Apostle Paul just documents how these false teachers were being dishonest with the Corinthians. And he says in verse 20, if you have your Bibles open, he says, In fact, you even put up with anyone who enslaves you or exploits you or takes advantage of you or pushes himself forward or even slaps you in the face. He says, number one, they enslave you. They're taking you captive, he says, with their false doctrine. Now, the bottom line is this. They were teaching these Christians that they were going to have to go all the way back to Old Testament rules of eating meats and observing feasts and observing all of those Sabbath regulations. They were leading them back actually into the bondage of Old Testament law. Shallow people are always, brothers and sisters, they are always inclined to follow somebody who is dogmatic. They're vulnerable. Listen to this. They're vulnerable to being enslaved by rules. As a matter of fact, the most indicting book against the Jehovah Witness cult is a book entitled 30 Years as a Watchtower Slave. The bottom line is the cults will enslave you. And the Apostle Paul is extremely disturbed. And he, in essence, says, can't you see that they're leading you right back into bondage and they're exploiting you? They were milking the Corinthians of their money. And there are always going to be people who are so vulnerable to being exploited because of the greedy motives of their leaders. I'm from Wichita. I'm a graduate of South High School. I've lived in Oklahoma for 30 plus years. And so Oklahoma, for the most part, has been my home almost all of my life. Way back in 1982, there was a television preacher who came out of Tulsa, Oklahoma, who told his audience that God had given him a vision that he was going to usher in the second coming of Jesus Christ. Please send $25 to the cause. Visa MasterCard accepted, he said. And thousands and thousands of people all across the United States of America contributed to the cause. As a matter of fact, I've read that the majority of support for television evangelists, some of whom are very exploitive, now not all of them are, comes from widows in the United States who have resources but who are very lonely and very vulnerable. I want you to listen to what Jesus said in Mark chapter 12, verse 38. Jesus Christ said, watch out for the teachers of the law. They like to walk around in flowing robes and be greeted in the marketplaces and have the most important seats in the synagogues and the places of honor at banquets. Listen, they devour widows' houses and for a show make lengthy prayers. Such men will be punished most severely. But because it's profitable, there are some who will lead you astray and there are some who will absolutely exploit you. And then Paul says, they take advantage of you. And the word here in the original language is picturing a fish being caught on a hook. They bait the hook, it looks appealing, and they promise prosperity, and they promise freedom, and they promise family unity. But the bottom line is, ladies and gentlemen, they're just opportunistic, and they want to hook you, and they want to destroy you. I mean, isn't it unbelievable that people will spend hundreds and hundreds of dollars on astrologers to predict the future and to dictate their choices of behavior? Paul says, hey, wake up. They're taking advantage of you. And then he says, and they degrade you. He says, they push themselves forward. Bottom line, they're not interested in you. They're only wanting to promote their own egos. They long to see their name up in lights. And then he says something very, uh, very uh, interesting. He says, and they abuse you. He says, 
and they slap you in the face. Did you know that many teachers in the first century would actually hit their students to show their own superiority and to keep them under subjection? And the false teachers in the church were publicly embarrassing some of the Christians by actually hitting them and insulting them. Now, let me tell you something. Not much of that really goes on today. But there are some believers who are absolutely intimidated by their leaders, and they are absolutely scared to death of what their leaders will allow them to do or maybe not allow them to do. Where are you going to live? Who are you going to date? Who are you going to marry? What job are you going to take? The list just goes on and on and on. Where are you going to live? What are you going to do with your life? And they tremble at the idea of going contrary to what their leader had to say. I just want to make sure that you understand tonight in Wichita, Kansas, that people are still vulnerable to false teachers. People are still gullible, brothers and sisters, to false teachers. But the Apostle Paul comes along, and Paul's credentials as an apostle were, I had not manipulated you as followers of Jesus Christ at all. As a matter of fact, if you have your Bibles open, look at what he says in verse 21. He says in verse 21, and he says it sarcastically. He says, to my shame, I admit that we were too weak for that. Paul says, you may think that my gentleness was weakness, but the bottom line is my gentleness hasn't anything to do with weakness. That's not true at all. He says, I was honest among you. I didn't try to exploit you. I didn't try to take advantage of you. You see, brothers and sisters, one of the most salient credentials of a Christian should be integrity. One of the most salient credentials of being a follower of Jesus Christ should be integrity. And that should be absolutely obvious to the entire world. But the bottom line is that we're living in a time and we're living in an age today where every single person, as a matter of fact, if I took a wireless microphone and just took it down all of the pews and asked you, what are you most concerned about? I promise you, almost every one of you eventually would say, the moral breakdown of the United States of America. We see the loss of values in the military. We see the loss of values in the government. We see the loss of values in athletics. A-Rod, just another, just another individual that we can add to the list. We even see the loss of values in the church. And the model seems to be do unto others before they do it to you. And for one reason or another, there are a lot of people in this world who think you got to lie and cheat and steal or you're not going to be able to get ahead in this world. Wayne Smith tells the story about a man who was applying for special insurance and the insurance agent asked him, well, how old is your mother? And he said, well, she's dead. How old was she when she died? Well, she was 41. What'd she die of? She died of tuberculosis. Well, how old's your father? Well, he's dead too. How old was he when he died? He was 41. What'd he die of? Heart attack. And the agent just tore up the form and said, you're a terrible risk for the special insurance. Your heredity is too bad. There's absolutely no way you're going to be able to get any special insurance. And so this man just went to another insurance agent, and the agent just asked him the very same question. Well, how old is your father? Well, he's dead. How old was he when he died? 94. He said, well, what did he die of? He fell off a horse playing polo. He said, well, how old's your mother? Well, she's dead too. How old was she? 91. What'd she die of? She died at childbirth. 
we have this idea. Listen, that's a silly story, but, but I think it gets the point across. We have this idea, brothers and sisters, that you have to twist the truth in order to get ahead in this world. But the Christian is to be a person of contrasts. Bottom line, you are to be counter-cultural. We're to be people of integrity. The Apostle Paul put it this way. I want you to listen to what he says in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 25. He says, therefore, each of you, listen to what he says. He says, therefore, each of you must put off falsehood, listen, and speak truthfully to his neighbor, for we are all members of one body. The best definition of integrity that I have ever heard is this, and I want you to listen to it very carefully. Doing what you say you're going to do. Best definition of integrity. You just are going to do what you say you're going to do. Jesus put it another way. Jesus said, let your yes be what? And let your no be what? That's the same thing. Integrity. That means that if you make a vow that you're going to be faithful to your mate until death do you part, then you do what you say and you be faithful. That means if you sign a contract that you're going to pay a designated amount on the 15th of every month for a particular item, that means you pay your bill on time. Christians in Wichita, Kansas ought to have the best credit rating in town. Amen? Absolutely. That means that if you say that you're going to do a particular responsibility here in this church building or whatever congregation that you're a part of, you don't have to be prodded and complimented and begged to do it time and time again. That means that if you take a job and you agree to be at work every morning at 8, you're there at 8 not at 8.15, not at 8.30, but you're there at 8 o'clock every day. You do a full day's worth of work. That's integrity. Bill Hybels is the 60-plus-old minister of Willow Creek Community Church in Chicago, Illinois. It's a congregation of about 20,000, 25,000 people. And Bill Hybels said that once he stopped at the church for just a few minutes, he was going to go inside and just encourage a group that was doing some ministry in the church building. And he just pulled his car up at the curb right in front of the entrance of the church building. He was inside for just a few minutes. He came back outside. But the next morning when Bill Hybels went to the church building to go to work, he found a note in his mailbox that read, Hey, Bill, a small thing, but Tuesday night when you came to visit the ministry team, you parked in the no parking area. And a reaction from one of the members who didn't recognize you until you got out of your car was, well, there's another jerk parking in the no parking area. We try hard not to allow people, even workers, not to park anywhere other than the parking lot. And I would appreciate your cooperation, too. And it was signed by the lead janitor of the church, a paid employee. Heibel said, you know what? That worker's stock went up in my book because he had the courage to write me about what could have been a slippage in my character, and he was right on the mark. I want you to listen to what Heibels wrote. Heibels says, as I drove up that night, I had thought, you know, I shouldn't park here. But after all, I'm the preacher. That translates, I'm an exception to the rules. 
But that employee wouldn't allow me to sneak down the road labeled, I'm an exception. I'm not an exception to church rules, nor am I an exception to sexual rules or financial rules or any of God's rules. As a leader, I'm not an exception. I'm to be the example. And then he says, according to the Bible, I'm to live in such a way that I can say, follow me, park where I park, live as I live. And brothers and sisters, that is exactly why and one of the major reasons why that we all need somebody like that staff member to whom you and I are accountable. People who will see to it that we have integrity even in the small matters of life. Now, some of you may say, "Oh, you know, Kent, that's petty. No, that's integrity. You do what you say you're going to do. Jesus said it this way. He says, you know what? If you're faithful in the little things, I'm going to see to it that you have responsibility in big things. You tell the truth even in little things. That's one of the characteristics of what it really means to be a mature follower of Jesus Christ. All right. Final attribute tonight, and then we'll close down. The final attribute that's a telltale sign that you're a follower of Jesus Christ are painful sacrifices that the Apostle Paul had made for Jesus Christ. Painful sacrifices that the Apostle Paul had made for Jesus Christ. And so if your Bibles are still open to 2 Corinthians, the 11th chapter, let's begin with verse 22. And I want you to see that the false teachers had evidently claimed to be superior to Paul in status. And so Paul asks, are they Hebrews? Now, the reason he asked that question is they were bragging that they could speak the original Hebrew language. And many of the Jews who had been dispersed around the world, they couldn't speak Aramaic. And they're insinuating that since Paul is from Tarsus, chances are he can't speak Hebrew. And Paul says, let me tell you something. I can speak Hebrew. He then says, are they Israelites? Well, so am I. They boast that they are native Palestinians. He said, listen, I came to this area, sat at the feet of Gamaliel since I was 12 years of age. Are they Abraham's descendants? Paul says, well, so am I. He says, I can trace my pedigree all the way back to Abraham, too. As a matter of fact, what the Apostle Paul is trying trying to get across is, if you want to compare pure Jewish blood to pure Jewish blood, Paul says, I can stand up with the best of you. But when it came, brothers and sisters, to proving his credentials as a servant of Jesus Christ, listen, Paul didn't talk about his PhD. Paul didn't talk about his Pedigree. As a matter of fact, if Paul were talking about his credentials tonight, I promise you what he would do is he would take off this sport coat and he would take off this tie if he would wear such a thing. And he would take off his shirt and he would bare his back to you. And he'd show you the scars. He would show you the scars that he had accrued over the years for Jesus Christ. And beginning, if you have your Bibles open, in verse 23, he lists all the sacrifices that he's made for Jesus Christ. And it's an extensive list. He says, I've worked much harder, been in prison more frequently, been flogged more severely, and been exposed to death again and again. Five times I received from the Jews the 40 lashes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. I spent a night and a day in the open sea. I've been constantly on the move. I've been in danger from rivers, in danger from bandits, in danger from my own countrymen, in danger from 
from Gentiles, in danger in the city, in danger in the country, in danger at sea, and in danger from false brothers. I have labored and toiled and have often gone without sleep. I have known hunger and thirst and have often gone without food. I've been cold and naked, and besides everything else, I face daily the pressure of my concern for all the churches. Paul could say, do you want to know my credentials as a leader and Paul would take off his shirt and bare his back. And you could see scars where he had been lacerated because he dared to preach Jesus Christ. Paul says, I've been constantly on the move. There have been constant threats to my life. Robert Hughes says of this particular passage of Scripture, he says, these were not the simple misfortunes of someone who took a series of vacations. He says they were sufferings accrued as an ambassador of the Lord Jesus Christ. And brothers and sisters, one of the evidences of a committed child of God should be sacrifice. There ought to be some scars in your life. And the Apostle Paul's experience is so foreign to us that we're just not accustomed to making sacrifices because everything comes so easy to us today. And yet down through history and even today, there are still some people who are willing to sacrifice some things for Jesus. There's a Christian opera singer who backed out of a musical that he had always wanted to participate in because he said the dance in it was too lewd. There was a Christian ex-professional football player who turned out a very lucrative contract with light beer because he didn't want to entice people to drink. There's a man at Memorial Road Church in Oklahoma City right next to Oklahoma Christian where I serve as an elder who just quit his job cold because he said, Kent, the under-the-table things that I have to do to make a living, I just can't do any longer. There is a young lady who graduated from Edmund Memorial High School, one of the local high schools in town, who is a member at Memorial Road, well, she used to be a member at Memorial Road, who was going to be in the senior class play. The senior class play. And when she finally got the script and she looked at the words in the script, there were so many curse words in the script and there were so many references of making fun of God Almighty and even Jesus Christ that she went to the drama teacher who was the dean of drama teachers in Edmond, Oklahoma, and said, there is absolutely no way that I'm going to ever be able to say these words. Can we change the words? And the drama teacher looked at that young lady and said, then you're out of the play. That young lady decided that she would get the opinion of the governor of the state of Oklahoma. And so she wrote, at the time, the governor of the state of Oklahoma, a fellow by the name of Frank Keating, and asked him, do you think I ought to have to say those words because of my convictions in Jesus Christ? And the governor of the state of Oklahoma, who was a believer and who is a believer, wrote that drama teacher and suggested to her that she allowed that young lady to be in the play. And maybe you aren't called upon to sacrifice anything material. Maybe you're never going to be beaten. I would imagine there's not going to be a soul in this auditorium this evening who will ever be beaten for your faith in Jesus Christ because you live in a free country. But again, in the little things, if we're going to be toughened up as genuine believers in Jesus Christ, there needs to be some scars. 
Maybe the scars occur on your calendar. It means maybe, just maybe, that if you have a scheduled church activity, but there's an important football game or basketball game, you go to the church activity. That's a novel idea, isn't it? Maybe that's the sacrifice that you make. It means that if you're called upon by the education ministry to teach for 13 weeks out of an entire year, you don't excuse yourself from that responsibility, especially if you're being asked to teach the age of your children. You make the sacrifice of time without squealing like you've been nailed to a cross. Because the bottom line is, brothers and sisters, there isn't anyone in this auditorium tonight who has ever come close to being nailed to a cross. It means that if you have an opportunity to witness to friends or family members and they object, you go ahead and maybe even be ridiculed and you give testimony to Jesus Christ. It means that if the church needs housing for somebody, you open up your home, even if it means hours of cleaning or inconvenience for you in getting up earlier. And people say all of the time, well, Kent, if I sacrifice, that's going to be a life of misery. No, no. That's going to be a life of joy and fulfillment and fellowship. Jesus put it this way. He said, whosoever will seek to save his life will lose it. But if you lose your life for my sake and the gospels, you'll find it. Is there really any evidence that you're a follower of Jesus Christ? Are you honest in your relationships with people? Are you self-sacrificing of things that God has entrusted to you? I'll close with this. Lieutenant John Blanchard was a young soldier stationed in Florida during boot camp during the first part of World War II. And one day John Blanchard was reading through a book he borrowed from the Army Library. And he was so impressed with some of the notes that were written in the margins. And he kept reading the notes in the margins by feminine handwriting. And they were so tender. They were so thought-provoking that he looked back at the flyleaf. And he saw that the previous owner of the book was a lady by the name of Hollis Maynell. And he did some research and he found out that her physical address was in upstate New York. And so he wrote her a letter telling her how much he appreciated her insight in that particular book. Well, the very next day, he was shipped overseas, but for the next 13 months, John Blanchard and Hollis Maynell corresponded back and forth, and they developed a tremendous relationship only through letter writing, only through correspondence, and they realized that they had so much in common and they thought so much alike, they realized that they had actually fallen in love with someone they had actually never, ever met. Lieutenant John Blanchard asked Hollis Maynell if she would send a picture of herself, but Hollis said, no, John, I'm not going to send a picture of myself because if you really cared about me, it's not going to matter what I look like because it's character and what's on the inside that really counts. Well, after about 13 months, the day finally came when he was to meet her. They made arrangements that they were going to meet each other at Grand Central Station in New York City at about 7 p.m. on a particular night. And she said, John, you'll be able to identify me by the red rose that I'll be wearing In my lapel, Lieutenant Blanchard waited with anticipation. Finally, a group of people had gotten off the train. They were coming right toward him. And out in front, sure enough, was a beautiful, slender, blonde-haired woman who had all kinds of poise and all kinds of beauty. And she came in a pale green dress that looked like the freshness of spring. And his heart nearly leaped out of his chest as he started toward her. And then he saw... That she did not have a red rose in her lapel, even though she was looking directly at him. 
And as she went by, she, with a provocative smile, said, Going my way, soldier? He said everything within him wanted to follow that blonde-haired, slender girl. But then right behind her, he saw Hollis Maynell. Over 50 years of age, graying hair, vastly overweight, but sure enough, wearing a lapel with a red rose in it and a wrinkled coat. She had gray eyes, a kindly expression, but John Blanchard was extremely disappointed, and he said, everything about me wanted to chase after that blonde-haired woman who was now kind of disappearing, but he remembered the relationship they had developed through all of those letters, and even though this probably wouldn't develop into a romance, it certainly was not going to develop into a marriage, he realized maybe it would develop into something more meaningful, a friendship, a companionship that he had never known before, and so without hesitation, he handed her the book which identified him to her and reached for her bag and said, Hollis, are you ready to go to dinner? And she turned to John and she said, Young man, I don't know what this is all about, but that blonde-haired woman begged me to put on this red rose. (laughs) And she said, If I were asked out to eat by you, that you were supposed to meet her at the restaurant across the street. She said... It was some kind of a test. And Lieutenant John Blanchard passed the test. Now here's the question that I want to ask you tonight. And I want you to listen up. Would you? Would you? Would you have passed the test? I think it's a good question to ask. He passed the test, brothers and sisters, of being a person of integrity, doing exactly what he said he was going to do. And a willingness more than anything else to make a sacrifice of that which seemed immediately pleasurable. Would you? The Lord promises that when you do, if you seek to save your life, You're going to lose it. But if you lose your life for my sake and the gospels, you're going to find it. That's something I just want you to think about tonight. Maybe you're here tonight and your first step is to do what you've been thinking about doing. And that's to give your life to Jesus Christ. If you need Jesus tonight in any way, won't you come as we stand and as we sing?